On today's episode of The Internet Computer, I am joined again by Jordan Last, who is a long-standing community member, uh, developer of the Pseudograph GraphQL database implementation on The Internet Computer. Thanks for joining me again, Jordan. So, what has your experience been in the Internet Computer community? You know, I unofficially joined the community in 2017 when I discovered the project. You know, very quickly, I, I just you know, consumed all the material I could. I actually then kind of came up with a few ideas that I would want to implement on the internet computer. I think that was in 2018. Obviously that was way immature or, you know, a few years ago. So I wasn't actually going to be able to, to build anything for, for a few years, but, you know, I reached out to the team, uh, met some other community members, visited the office a couple of times, and I, if I could culminate the last few years together into like one or two words, I would say roller coaster. It has been a roller coaster of anticipation and some letdowns and then some more anticipation and some letdowns and, you know, major concerns that end up resolving themselves. Some concerns that actually became reality and have not yet resolved themselves, but I still, you know, have hope for the future. So, you know, it's a very technical project. It is a very lofty project with lofty goals and a lofty vision. It's been a roller coaster thinking through everything and then finding out, you know, what we actually have to work with and then now actually working with. So what are these, just going straight into the, uh, the guts of it, what were the uh, concerns that became reality? Yeah, okay, so... The, the vision, as, as I feel like it's been given to me over the years, is that this is going to be an infinitely scalable world or internet computer that you can simply deploy applications into, and that's it. You don't have to worry about scaling or firewalls or you know, all these crazy things. It's going to be secure by default and infinitely scalable by default. Well, that's not what we have right now, okay? We, you can't just write up an application in Rust or Motoko or another language that the, um, compiles into WebAssembly, deploy it, and expect it to just grow as more and more users um, join and start storing their data. It's not going to work. In fact, it's going to break down at the 2 to 3 gigabyte um, range of, of storage. And that's because canisters, which is the fundamental application unit, they only scale to about four gigabytes. And I think it's really in practice only two to three gigabytes because there's some you know, garbage collection or other things that uh, um, you know, the system needs. So it's just not going to scale. And so what you need to do is you need to split your application up into multiple canisters. So you know, once I have like two gigabytes of user profiles, I need to spin up another canister to continue to store user profiles and so on and so forth with everything that you're, um, that you're storing. And that is not simple. Like it's not easy. So far there is no library that's just going to do it for you. You know, the foundation is working on an implementation called big map um, and an implementation called big search that will help you with these things. But as far as I understand, big map is a very, is a simple key value store. I could be totally wrong. Like they could have actually, vamped it up and added more capabilities, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's just a key value store. So you just give something a name 
and store it. Well, that's not sufficient for many applications. Like we need powerful searching and powerful querying. We need to model relations, you know, like in a, the previous podcast, I mentioned users. Users might have blog posts and blog posts might have comments and comments might have authors and blah, 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 stuff like that. And so it just doesn't, it doesn't scale for you automatically. So that was one thing where, you know, I was disappointed. I was sad that we as developers were going to have to, to deal with this situation. And so pseudograph, I actually have to deal with the situation, which I wasn't actually planning on initially. I was thinking I could use big map or some other already built solution to just infinitely scale my GraphQL queries, but it's, it's not the case. I'm going to actually have to figure it out myself. And many other developers will have to as well, depending on uh, the nature of the application. So that's just one thing in particular. Now, there are some potential you know, mitigations in the future, right? So the canister memory limit, which is four gigabytes, potentially could be lifted as WebAssembly standards get pushed out. There are two standards, I believe, in particular that will help this. One, I believe, is called multiple memories. One is called WASM64. Uh, both of those might help. I think with uh, WASM64, I think we'll be able to increase the, the canister limit. It was like to four or 16 or 64 gigabytes or something. So that will help, but it's still not infinitely scalable. I think multiple memories and hope maybe some other techniques might actually help us to create an infinite virtual memory that essentially is what I hoped the internet computer would be, where a canister has memory and that memory to you as a developer is essentially infinite. You don't actually have to think about you know, limits or you know, replication factors or subnets. Your memory would simply be scaled automatically under the hood by the system. I, I really hope that's possible. I feel like the reason that you know, the foundation didn't do it that way was probably because it would be a, you know, an extreme effort and they wanted to get something out to us to use. But you know, that, that would be more of the, the, the vision that I feel like I, I've been given and that I want to see achieved would be an infinite virtual memory. And then you could just deploy a canister and it will just scale itself. We might be years away from that slash it might never happen. But that's an example of, of one concern. And there are others if you want to go into them. Yeah, well, I think um, the concerns that I hear mostly people say are things like it's not actually decentralized, which is probably something that would be good to discuss. Yeah, so right now, I mean, I would say the project in some ways is incredibly centralized. The foundation has developed most of the core software, if not all of it. The foundation is in charge of finding the data centers, inducting them, getting them set up with nodes. The foundation created the net network nervous system canister. The network nervous system is, is what is supposed to essentially have full control over the network. The foundation is obviously has a lot of control or maybe full total control over ICP. You know, they've started to, to issue ICP to people, but um, they, I assume, I think this is public information. They own significant amount, amounts. Um, so there are many reasons to believe this is centralized because it is centralized, but there are also many reasons to believe that it will become more and more decentralized over time. So let's just take the network nervous system as an example. 
the network nervous system has power, as I understand it, to update the actual node software of you know the internet computer nodes running in the data in the data centers. It has power to actually shut down individual canisters or censor them. I think for, pretty much it has power to do almost anything you want on the network within certain bounds, I'm sure. But um, so if the concentration of ICP, which is the token that you need basically to vote um, proposals through the network nervous system, if ICP is concentrated, you know, if a few entities own most of the ICP, then it's only going to take a few entities to collude to push their will onto the network nervous system. I think it's natural, but what I'm hoping is that over time, as ICP is you know given out with developer grants, is it you know people can purchase it on exchanges, people can earn it through voting um, cycles, which ICP can be converted into, uh, are actually being used for computation. Cycles maybe are used as currency. Hopefully, over time, it will become much more decentralized. You know, Bitcoin. Everyone thinks of that as you know the canonical example of a fair launch. Ethereum, they berate Ethereum because of its centralization, because it was pre-mined and they had initial allocations. I've seen at least one research report that shows that Ethereum is, I think, every bit as decentralized. Ether, the asset, is every bit as distributed and decentralized now as Bitcoin is. And so, you know, it took five or six years, but it's it's very distributed now. I'm hoping the same happens with ICP, but I think it's it's not going to be like that from the beginning. And could the foundation have done something different to make it more distributed at first? Yes. But did they? No. Is it a problem? I'm not sure. I think it's a valid concern though, but I also think, you know, there's promise uh, that, that, that it'll be addressed as it gets distributed more. It's this difficult thing where, you have to be responsible in the way that you manage the funds that are allocated or that you have um, as an organization, even if those are funds you minted yourself, and then the need to distribute those tokens mm -hmm. for the health of the project. And it's a very, very difficult balance to maintain. I think the big question now is, can the market crash low enough for more people to get in? And you know, a lot of people have um, been speaking to me and asking me, you know, will this go down? Well, you know, do you have any, <laughs> any tokens to sell? Which is a knuckle biter of a question to be asked. Um, and I mean, it, it's, it's a tough call, you know, do, do you really want a community member to be spending a hundred dollars per ICP when you then extrapolate that out into influence over the NNS? which is it's incredibly minor. And these, uh, these community members may not have the economic power to acquire enough influence or as much influence over the NNS as it would be most, most healthy for the NNS or, and for the entire internet computer for them to have. Yeah, that's a good point. I think, um, I think another promising thing though, is the, the inflation and burn model of the internet computer, which reflects what Ethereum is about to do, which is move to EIP-5059, where validators are always minting new Ether into existence and transaction fees are always being burned. So you have kind of both sides. 
and the internet computer is doing a very similar thing. I think hopefully that's going to help as well because you always get that fresh blood of ICP being created and then you have it destroyed on the other side. And so, you know, hopefully that will also help with uh, distribution. Yeah, that said, it is going to be created in the hands of the wealthiest, right? This is the share of income between capital and labor, right? Yeah, but um, for example, note like, and this leads to another point of centralization, which is the node operators. So right now, it's very controlled who can become a node operator. But the idea is that over time, I guess the network nervous system would need to allow this, which is kind of circular because it goes back to the ICP holders. But you know, as more and more people are allowed to be to to provide nodes, they will start also earning ICP, and also the data centers at least eventually, are going to make, I think, all of their money, I would imagine, or at least most of it, from the protocol minting them ICP. And they're going to need to sell that ICP to maintain their business. Otherwise, it's not really a business, you know, that because that is their source of income. So, you know, they will always be a source of sell pressure. And I bring that up just to discuss, you know, that's a source of more funds flowing. But yeah, I agree, you know, these are all valid concerns. It's hard to be a, a node provider right now, and I think it's capital intensive. And this comes into the trade-offs with the internet computer versus Ethereum. Ethereum is designed to be maximally decentralized. You can run a node in your basement or whatever if you want to. The internet computer is not that. The other issue that I think is interesting that gets glossed over, and it was actually raised tangentially by Tassin in the second episode I think I published, and that is the common logic risk that Definity has. I mean, not only do we have uniform hardware, but a single client running on all of those oh, I see, yeah. nodes. And you know that was the part of the deliberate reason that Ethereum used a multi-client kind of uh, design. Um, or instantiation, maybe we should say. You know, you think of uh, of planes, right? A plane's flying along. It's got three different systems managing any particular thing going on on the plane. If they're all, if and the, they're therefore redundancy. But if something goes wrong with the software in one of those systems, and they all use the same software, well, then you've got a plane crash, right? So that common logic. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. I mean, you know, if if it's really a concern, a team could write another client and uh, push it through the NNS potentially. So I don't see that as an insurmountable issue. I also think this brings up another, yeah, the concern, you know, all of the security auditing and testing. I assume that they, I know they have been doing that internally. I really want to see public security testing. In fact, I'd love to see bug bounties. In fact, very large bug bounties as in, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, you know, when you find critical bugs, I would love to see the community be able to just go at this thing and, and really try to poke holes in it. Maybe that client issue would, uh, that would surface in that case. So I, I think it's a valid concern, but you know, with bug bounties, with, um, you know, if people really want multiple clients, then make a, make some more clients and push them through the NNS. I would assume that, Eventually, that would be possible to do, but it's going to be very risky, or it's riskier in the early stages of the network, I guess, to not have multiple implementations. So, 
it's obviously really hard to build multiple implementations of something like this and you've only got so many people working on it and then maintaining those you see the amount of trouble the multiple implementations uh has yeah. for ethereum you know and like maybe i'm just naive and i don't know silly i feel like ethereum makes a bigger deal about the multiple implementations than they need to i honestly don't think it's that big a deal like bitcoin runs fine with basically one client um I feel like the number of issues on Bitcoin network-wide is similar to the number of issues on Ethereum network-wide, even with multiple clients. I could be totally wrong, but that's just based on my observation. And also, like, if I think about other things, like the internet protocols themselves, I don't know how many implementations of the you know, TCP IP there are, but I imagine a lot of the world probably runs the same exact version or or at least implementation i don't i i don't find it that big of an issue like i see the points on both sides i guess did you follow any of the uh any of coin bureau's comments on uh, the internet computer i did i did um unfortunately i don't remember like i couldn't recall his exact comments but if you have any of them i i in all honesty the i watched that video twice and I have a hard time actually remembering them myself. I think they were almost all um, <laughs> misconceptions or, uh, or um, yeah. spurious. I think one actually I'm looking at here, someone has picked out in, in a Medium article. In a 2018 interview, ICP creator Dominic Williams said the project aims to comply with the laws of each country it operates in. The Coin Bureau asks, how is this possible for a protocol that is supposed to have open governance and decentralization? That doesn't sound at all like a cryptocurrency to me. So I think um, this is where like people have become very trapped in their current ideologies. Like we in the Bitcoin and Ethereum ecosystem, we've broken out of the mainstream world so far that we think any type of regulation or law is antithetical to our beliefs, which personally, no, I believe in the rule of law. I also believe that, you know, government should be small, but I, I think, um, I think they've gone way too, some people have gone way too far. And so they think that the internet computer, if it tries to comply, that it will fail. Here's how I think this could work as an example. You know, the protocol itself, the network nervous system, that could be running in a maxly decentralized manner. You know, you might have nodes from many different countries and jurisdictions running all over the world. No one can truly govern the network nervous system itself, potentially. But you might imagine a special subnet that is required for the European Union. For some reason, there are just some applications that need a European Union-specific subnet where the nodes are run by even known operators within the European Union. You can imagine an NNS proposal that says, we're going to spin up a 30 node subnet. And these are the node operators of the subnet. The UK, well, I guess they're not in it anymore, whatever. Uh, I don't <laughs> know about Europe that much. Germany, France, whatever. You know, you choose the node operators and you say, okay, we're now going to run, a spin up a subnet with just these whitelisted operators. And that is going to be subnet number three, five, seven, six, eight, X, H, whatever. And it now exists. Okay. 
anyone who needs to be regulated or wants to be regulated and wants to run within the European Union, just deploy to that subnet. Anyone who doesn't, there's like tons of other subnets that are just maximally decentralized around the world. I think it's actually a, a relatively elegant design to, to have these subnets because we can actually encapsulate rules and preferences within each subnet and not subject the rest of the subnets to those rules. Right. And you could have it essentially as a subnet type that was spun up because there's demand yep. for that particular type. There's already been talk about the uh, interface subnet, uh, a fiduciary subnet and a storage subnet. So you could have this European Union compliant variant of each of those subnets, for example. It's another interesting thing. I was speaking with some friends. There's been a lot of uh, frustration. I shouldn't say a lot of. There has been frustration with the design of the internet identity system. And mm. it was funny because I'm hearing all these people complain about it in the um, Definity developer community. And then I went and talked to some friends about it and like, wow, that's incredible. That's compliant with New Zealand's personal information regulation. Mm. <laughs> and so I think, um, I think there has been a concerted effort to build everything in the internet computer to be as compliant as possible by default, but but at the same time, not rigid in its operation so that you have these flexibilities. And I think a lot of, like if you design things with quote unquote, perfect security, quote unquote, perfect privacy, privacy preserving, all these things, the spirit of these regulations is to protect people from other people. And so if you have like, an unhackable, infinitely scalable, privacy-preserving machine, a lot of the regulations will probably just melt away over time because you won't need the regulations. In the meantime, I think there are ways around them or ways to comply with them. Yeah, exactly. And, and internet identity is beautiful. And that's one thing. I think Coinboro or someone else had a huge misconception about the internet identity saying that it you'd be able to be tracked across every app because it was like <laughs> yeah, essentialized. Exactly the opposite, like opposite of what it actually is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Specifically designed to make that impossible more so than any other identity system. Exactly. Okay, well, cool. This has been fantastic, Jordan. I mean, we spend so much time uh, on this podcast and I feel as a community talking up the internet computer we rarely get a chance to just sit down and um, poke a few holes in it because there is a lot of work that needs to be done to make this into something or to realize the vision that we all bought into so many years ago so um yeah it's uh it's really fun yeah yeah it's thank you thanks for having me on no worries at all can people follow you on twitter etc yeah twitter uh at last mjs Telegram, at LastMJS, GitHub, at LastMJS, pretty much everywhere. Okay, good to know. Uh, easy to remember. I'll throw all that in the notes. Awesome. Later, Potato. The Internet Computer Weekly has a sister newsletter featuring news, project updates, interesting tidbits and reading that come up over the course of the week. Together, they are part of a larger effort at ecosystem building we are calling the Cycle Dow. Visit cycledar.xyz to subscribe and learn more.